Sipsonish, Alex Nepp. I'm here with the solo cast this week. What's up, everybody? It has been insane. I said that every podcast, um, every solo cast, especially. I just finished my last multi-wedding weekend, so I've got two more weddings this year. Personally, I will have done 63 in total, so I'm at 61 and done. And I have two weeks off now, and I'm hitting a wedding December 4th, December 11th. Actually, three, pardon me, December 18th, too. So, yeah, staying busy. But it's life. It's been a great year. I can't believe I was telling Big Daddy, of all people, um, that I had that I was doing, like, 63 weddings. And he's he did 90. I don't know how the fuck that guy... How do you even do 90 weddings in a year? And he is... Uh, He's, I mean, well over 65, so yeah, man. God bless him. That's that's crazy. So I'm recording this this morning. It's Monday morning. I've got my coffee and I got my smoothie. That's how I start off every single morning. And I got a couple things I want to talk about. Um, three things, actually, in particular, and I'm going to give you a preview here um, just to kind of keep you listening. Number one, um, I just kind of just want to talk about my weddings this weekend, um, so that's going to be a quick little section there. But the big thing I want to talk about is the DJ Collective, which is taking place as I record this and as you listen to this, potentially, if you're listening um, this week, Monday, November 15th to the 19th, I believe, maybe the 18th. And it's in Scottsdale, Arizona. But I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how it started and why I'm not here this year or why I'm not there this year. And then I want to talk to you about what I believe is the perfect wedding timeline. So that actually might be a good one if you're a client of mine or looking to be a client of mine. It might be a good reason to stick around. I know this is usually DJ specific, but I definitely do have some clients that listen and, uh, you know, I've actually, even this year, as crazy as things have been, I actually have had uh, one couple ask me to help them craft their signature drinks for their wedding, and that was like the biggest honor in the world, so I, I love that, and uh, you know, hey, if, and if anything's coming positive out of this podcast, that's it, but let's talk, I'm going to start off, I want to talk about uh, my weekend, and I'm not going to do a total Nick Spinelli and tell you about my travels, but I was in Philly on Friday, really, really dope wedding, um, a good DJ friend of mine, DJ Bird from the Philly area, formerly of the Pittsburgh area. Um, one of his best friends got married. He was the best man, and um, he asked me to be the DJ at the wedding, and I was extremely honored. And DJ Bird and I now have to, not have to, are going to record an episode of Sips and Ish because DJ Bird is a huge bourbon drinker and uh, just a dope dude. I think he needs some shine, so we're going to have him on here as I start bringing guests back. And that wedding was a lot of fun. So traveled there on Friday Got in my van on Saturday morning, um, and I headed to Johnstown, Pennsylvania, and we'll talk about this more a little bit later when I talk about the perfect wedding timelines, but Western Pennsylvania and Philly, completely different worlds with weddings, and the only thing I really want to talk about at my Johnstown wedding on Saturday, again, awesome wedding, it was a banger, dance floor is packed for close to four hours, which is... Again, a very much a Western Pennsylvania thing, these marathon dance floors. Um, and, dude, it was, it was a blast, but this uh, it was at the Grand Hall in Johnstown, which is an old decommissioned church, high ceilings, an acoustic nightmare. So I actually brought four Evolve 50s and kind of placed them um, around the dance floor area so that the speakers would overpower the echo. 
And but they had a venue manager, um, and she was a sweetheart of a young lady, like really professional. But she was wound tight, and it could just be you know the you know it couldn't have been her maybe, but it, she was wound really tight. I'd, it might have been her boss, I don't know. But they have a no drinks on the dance floor rule, and that's the big thing I want to touch on because there are a couple venues that have no drinks on the dance floor rules, like on paper that's a rule, but when it's all said and done, nobody listens, and even the venue people don't really give a shit because, hey, you know, it's a rule, it's a sign, and, you know, sometimes they ask me to make an announcement, and I've done this, you know, a bunch of times, and whenever I have to make these announcements, I typically will say, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get on the dance floor for the rest of the night, we're going to celebrate the bride and groom, come on out and join them, just want to let you know, the venue has a rule, no drinks on the dance floor, so please, if you're coming out to dance, keep your drinks off the dance floor. I'll make that announcement, start the party, and that's it. That's all it'll say. I know that nobody's going to listen. I don't give a shit, and that's why I don't say, like, I don't want drinks on the dance floor. I want drinks all over the dance floor. I want people putting their hands up. I want it to be safe. But, you know, hey, that's what a party is. But if a venue has this rule, I'm going to be professional. I'm going to play along. I'm going to make that announcement, and that's it. Not my job to police it, bro. It's my job to get people to dance. It's not my job to clear the dance floor. And the same thing goes for shuttle announcements at the end of the night, like make a sign. And, or, you know, perhaps I'll make the same announcement as the dance floor starts. Hey, guys, we have three shuttles coming in. One's at 9.30, one's at 10, and the other one's at 10.30. At the end of the night, it's 11. We got the last one coming. Hopefully, you guys all stay and party with the bride and groom. Something like that. Again, I'm saying making, I'm communicating to people. I'm letting them know what's going on, but I'm not getting people off the dance floor. Last call announcements, don't like that. Don't do it. Um, I, I frankly just stopped doing them. Um, I, I talked to Digital Digital Dave last night, and he'll he'll be back in the back in the podcast too. Actually, we're going to do a, a live recording because um, I'm going to go help him with a wedding on November 27th. Um, but yeah, yeah, he said his way of doing it is actually just like not even like lowering the music, grabbing the mic and just saying last call as the music's playing. <laughs> and I love it. I kind of love that too. Um, cause at least he's doing it, but I don't even do it. I kind of nod and say yes. Um, because again, like it's my job to pack the dance floor. It's my job to get people to celebrate the couple. Um, I think the venue people, the bartenders, like, yeah, it's just, doesn't make sense. It's my job to throw a party, not get people off the party, so off of the dance floor. So that's just my take there. But this lady, um, again, God bless her. She was pretty young, maybe 25, 26, I think only four or five months at the venue. And she just came up to me every five minutes, make that announcement, make that announcement, make that announcement, make that announcement again. And she was so like wound tight that she actually had a like one of those yellow, yellow folding wet floor signs and a mop. Like that's what she did all night all night like i'm not kidding like like if if the if somebody like drooled on the dance floor like there there was a you know if somebody had a conversation and and a and a particle of uh, spittle came out of their mouth she was there mopping it up i'm exaggerating but she was way over the top wound way too tight and i can say this if i owned that venue now maybe bouncers are the wrong term but i would have two bigger guys um that you know were very friendly in customer service and would just, you know, take drinks off of people and put them, because they did have high top tables around the dance floor. I would just, you know, I'd have these people saying, oh, excuse me, ma'am, sir, whatever, there's no drinks on the dance floor, I'm going to take them. But again, that's a whole different beast. Yeah, it's, uh, it is what it is. Uh, I, I was kind of, 
I, I don't think in my career I've ever dealt with a, uh, a venue manager that was wound so tight and I've been doing this for 20 years. So that just, you know, that just says something. But yo, want to talk about the DJ Collective. Um, I started off the podcast telling you that I've got three main topics. And the DJ Collective is one of them. This is the fourth DJ Collective. It should be the fifth, but um, a little thing called COVID happened last year. So DJ Collective number four, taking place in Scottsdale, Arizona at a charming little boutique hotel, which um, is not a four or five star hotel, but I kind of dug it. Um, And I'm going to tell a little backstory about the DJ Collective and my history with it. Um, here in a second but yeah it's in Scottsdale Arizona it was supposed to be in um, what is the fucking North Carolina town Ash Ash Asheville North Carolina but again COVID happened and they couldn't make it uh, they couldn't align schedules for it to happen in Asheville this year so they went back to Scottsdale so it's it's very fitting to an extent because um, year three was in Scottsdale it was a good time and and it kind of like, hey, let's just pick up where we left off. Let's just like take this pause button that was COVID and let's go back to Scottsdale and let's redo it. And that's cool. So DJ Collective started in 2017. Yeah, the fall of 2017. And from my understanding, it was a brainchild of Brian B. And Brian B. hit up um, you know, five or six homies, uh, DJ people that he respected, and I was one of them. And we got an Airbnb in Austin, Texas. And Brian B., Brian Bonacici, literally arranged all of this himself. He did everything himself. Like, I mean, we all had input, but he did, by and large, everything himself. From arranging the Airbnb, we had an in-house chef to cook all of our meals. He arranged that. And he fronted all this money too. And Brian got education lined up. And the education was kind of like, it was great. It was dope. And it gave us like, gave me access to wedding planners and kind of like what their pet peeves are, what they look for. And that was kind of new to me, despite my, you know, fairly solid relationship with wedding planners in my market. It gave me like a deeper understanding of that. Um, there were some corporate planners there. Um, we've, we had um, Phil Van Nostrand, um, who I just love that last name. If you're a Seinfeld fan, uh, you'll know that Kramer's alias, whenever he needed to use a fake name, was a Van Nostrand. Um, but yeah, so we had Phil Van Nostrand, who took awesome pictures of us, which I still use to this day as promo pictures, which, uh, hey, Alex, it's been five years. You don't look like that anymore. Anyway, though, so the DJ Collective is super dope, but it started off as just a 12-person group in an Airbnb, eating every meal together, um, kind of telling like pants down, like no secrets, business truths, whether it's um, you know positives or negatives, things that you have done for your success and things you've learned from your failures. So, and that's what it was. And we had some really fun nightlife, nightlife activities. Obviously, Austin, Texas is an amazing time. And yeah, we crammed all that into three days, and that was pretty much, from my understanding, all Brian B. So year two comes around, and uh, Brian was like, hey, that was awesome. Let's do this again. We did it in Tampa, St. Petersburg. Yeah, Tampa, Florida, actually, downtown Tampa. And again, we were in Hotel Adeline there, I believe. God, I hope I'm not mixing up my hotels. Um, 
we were we were in a really nice hotel and we used their um, smaller banquet facilities, kind of like a, a kitchen showroom facility as our education. And we expanded to like, I think it was like 22 people then. And that felt right. It felt good. And all of these people, all the 22 people were handpicked by Brian B. And Brian B. communicated to us, hey, we've got Mike Walter coming in this year. We've got Digital Dave coming in this year. We've got Jason Henniger coming in this year. So all those people from year two that came in, they were like fantastic additions. Um, I, you couldn't ask for better people. And it was much of the, more of the same kind of. We just had an amazing time in, in downtown Tampa. And we learned a lot. And that was all Brian B. once again. And our fee for this at the time, like the first year, I think we paid like 500 bucks each. Brian fucking ate it. And like, dude, like, yeah, I, maybe it was more, but it was really cheap. And we all chipped in. And Brian at the time, I think he told us he broke even, but maybe he lost a little. Um, you know, if he did, like, God bless him. You know, he was a saint for putting this together. And I couldn't be more, um, couldn't be more grateful for that. And year two was awesome too, more of the same. I had some personal struggles in year two, um, so I wasn't 100% present, but that's another another story, whatever, getting into that. Um, it was a great time, great people, great time. Rob Frey also added to year two, and that was a ton of fun. So year three comes around, and this is where things kind of like fell off for me a little bit. And I'm not saying this to disparage um, what the DJ Collective was in year three or what it is now, because if you are spending that money for the DJ Collective, I will 100% say that it's worth every penny. I did not feel like I didn't get my money's worth year three. But what happened in between year two and year three was um, Joe Bunn and Janai came along, Jason Janai, who, again, are people like that I totally respect, are way more talented than I could ever wish to be. Uh, and and they're, they're homies, they're friends, but they came in as, as kind of partners, and I, I wasn't aware, like, maybe it was that way from year one, but I think year three was, like, Brian was like, hey, I can't do this all on my own, I'm running my business in Florida, I'm trying to do my wedding thing here, I, I'm eating costs, and I think Brian lost a little bit more money on year two than, um, than he really cared to. Again, that's not I'm just, that's hearsay. I have no idea whether or not that's the case, but uh, Joe Bunn and Jason Janai came in. And so what, what kind of broke me off was like, so we had this group of 12 people the first year, 22 people or so the second year. And I felt like we were kind of like a group. It wasn't a conference. It was a group of like-minded individuals getting together and learning and sharing their experiences and having some fun. So year three comes along and I think, you know, maybe it was a hundred people or so, um, roughly. So a lot more, like, you know, quadrupled in size. But what really kind of hit me was, so like, instead of said, like Brian B like texting all of us, cause 20 people, you group text and say, Hey, this is what's going on in year three. Um, you know, we need to do this just because it's too much workload for me. I'm bringing Joe and ja Joe and, uh, Jason in and that would have been a totally if, if if Brian would have sent that text or something like that ahead of time like I totally would have been like okay I get that cool and maybe if Brian said hey we're gonna head, head in the direction of like a conference and not like DJ Times or Mobile Beat but more of like uh, an engage for DJs where you're still getting like highest level of education you're still getting a ton of camaraderie you know, just, just communication. I think communication is important in every relationship. So I personally felt a little burned by, um, you know, we were introduced to year three with a Facebook live video where we were being like, I felt like we were being pitched or talked at 
and it was kind of open to the entire general public uh, via the GJ's vault, which is a huge reach, and I can't blame them. God bless them. Like, that's a giant, giant reach for Joe Bond to use um, to garner more attention and, and gather more uh, publicity and get more heads at this festival, or pardon me, this conference. So that was year three, and year three I went. It was in Scottsdale, and I think Scottsdale was Hotel, Hotel Adeline. I don't think that was Tampa, but whatever. It was awesome. It was the shittiest weather you could ever imagine, but the education was great. I had the pleasure of sharing the stage with Nate Nelson, and Nate Nelson and I did a really cool health and wellness track talk, uh, and then we were part of um, the Miracle Monday mashup se- section, which was really fun, and then there was the Wednesday parties, just a ton of education. It was it was an awesome time, minus the weather. We were at this hotel that literally is centered around the, a beautiful pool, and we got to spend zero time in it um, because it rained every single day in Scottsdale, Arizona. So yeah, fast forward to this year, and it's in the same place. Um, my my schedule is insane, and I've got a little girl and a family, and unfortunately, uh, we don't have um, like Kristen and I, we don't have family locally that can just babysit Genevieve for three or four days while we go away or while I go away. Um, so unfortunately, you know, I couldn't make it this year and I would have gone this year, um, had that not been the case, but I also have to be more selective about what I do. You know, I'm in DJ think tank and, uh, we're doing a mini think tank in new Orleans in January and we're going to Riviera Maya in Mexico in July. So again, those are two, two trips, um, away. So, you know, I got to make sure I manage the funds okay and, you know, make sure I don't go to every festival. If I was single, I keep on saying festival too. If I were single, not married, didn't have a kid, I would go to every single one of these things and burn, you know, 30 grand a year at every DJ conference just because I do enjoy the camaraderie. It's a business write-off and, you know, it's like a vacation with people I, I love. I, I love my DJ homies. So again, that's that's the backstory on the DJ Collective and kind of like where it started in 2017 and where it is now in 2021 and uh hopefully 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 i can attend in 2022 hopefully it's at a dope location and that's that so guys i want to talk now about the perfect wedding timeline and I'm going to timestamp this literally in the preview. 18 minutes. Skip to 18 minutes if you're a client of mine and you want to know about the perfect wedding timeline. So I want to preface this. I just clapped my hands. Hopefully you heard that. Heard that. I think there are so many industry rock stars in the New Jersey, New York, Philadelphia area, that little tri-state bubble, because they have perfected a wedding timeline where every guest has an amazing time, the DJ absolutely looks like a rock star and everything flows smoothly. I'm pausing right now for emphasis. I live in State College, Pennsylvania. I do weddings in Philly. I do weddings in Jersey. I do weddings in Pittsburgh. I've traveled to New York. I've traveled to Baltimore, D.C., New Orleans. I've traveled. I'm by no means the biggest travel destination DJ, but I've done my fair share of travel. And out of my thousand-some weddings I've done in my career, I've probably done about 50 to 100 in the Philly, Jersey, New York area. So central Pennsylvania, weddings go great. Everything is awesome. People have an awesome time. But there's that expectation of how things flow, especially from your guests that are 50-plus, 
that have been to, you know, 50 or 100 weddings as guests and they are used to the flow of certain things. So yeah, there are regional differences in weddings. So these tri-state Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York weddings use a pacing style that I'm in love with. So we're going to start off pre-ceremony. If, you know, you aren't doing the ceremony on the same at the same site as your venue, you could skip this part. So pre-ceremony, the bar is usually open. Now, it's not a cocktail hour completely, but the bar is open. If you're a guest, you can go up, you can grab a cocktail, and then you can head into the ceremony area for, you know, to be seated and wait for everything to take place. So prior to the prelude of the wedding, which is, again, prior to the wedding actually taking place, you know, the DJ's got background music playing, people are hitting the bar, grabbing a drink, and finding their seats. And most of the time in the Philly area, Jersey area, it's, it kind of replaces a day of planner, but there's a position at the venue called a maitre d'. And they kind of act like they're not the venue manager, which, you know, most of the time we have here in central Pennsylvania. And the venue manager kind of acts in somewhat of a maitre d' role. But the maitre d' role, maitre d', a good maitre d', especially, is on top of their shit. So as guests are grabbing these drinks you know, where you might think people would linger around the bar and not head to the reception area, or pardon me, the uh, ceremony area. This maitre d' is, uh, you know, instructing people, you know, please find your seats at this moment, Uh, things like that. So they're kind of pushing things along, and, you know, the things that I just, you know, a DJ can't do 20 things at once. So, you know, a lot of times in central Pennsylvania, you know, I'm playing like, uh, you know, with along with the venue manager, we're kind of both filling the gaps of that maitre d' role. So again, ceremony, prior to ceremony, the bar is open, grab a drink, be seated, wait for the bride and groom, ceremony takes place, again, you know, there's a bunch of different variables in the ceremony, but I'm not going to go into that right now, ceremony takes place, the happy couple are married, and we shift into cocktail hour, so I emphasize the word hour there because I think cocktail hour should be about 90 minutes. Um, in most cases, the wedding party and the bride and groom or the couple will have gotten all of their important, important photos taken prior to the ceremony. That's just kind of the norm now. So they'll work with the photographer to get in all of those nice shots, all of those detail shots. And of course, you know, all of the, their actual portraits. So after the ceremony takes place, the couple and the photographer and the wedding party will stick around usually for like 20 minutes or 30 minutes or so, and they will get family photos done. And that's cool, um, and that works out really nicely. And now more than ever, after the, that takes place, I guess, I guess in the past, you know, this, the wedding party would kind of head off on their own, do their own thing, kind of decompress. But it seems to be the norm now where uh, the, the couple and the wedding party will just actually head to the cocktail hour and hang out and say hello and then do all of that. And that replaces kind of like that old tradition of the couple having to go table to table after dinner. So, hey, they already said hi. They already said thank you for coming. They already said, hey, we appreciate you. We love you after the ceremony and during cocktail hour. So I emphasize the word cocktail hour because I think the sweet spot for cocktail hour is actually 90 minutes or so. Um, Let's people mix and mingle, have some hors d'oeuvres, happy appetizers, and have a good time there. So 90-minute cocktail hour, I like that. Um, assuming the cocktail hour is in a different room than the uh, dinner and dancing, the reception, 
which I do encourage. I think movement's really good for a wedding, really good for the energy levels at a wedding, whether it's outside at a uh, barn venue or a venue that has like an outdoor spot, a rooftop, whatever, um, or a separate room in a venue that has, you know, the space um, and facilities to do that. I think that helps a wedding big time. It's a, it's a minor detail, but it creates movement and not being stuck in the same room for six, seven hours, however long it is, um, definitely helps that movement and that energy. So yeah, doors open. That takes about 10 minutes, 15 minutes to get people in. So you know, again, hey, you're looking close to two hours after the ceremony, but that's cool. So what takes place then is the wedding party and the couple will make their entrance and this is where all kinds of variables can take place, but I'm going to tell you what I think is a perfect wedding timeline is wedding party entrance, bride and groom entrance, first dance, and then go right into the parents' dances. So, yep, that's right. You know, the father-daughter dance, the mother and son dance. And this is where things get drastically different in New Jersey and uh, Philadelphia and New York. Um, and in fact, I've heard people refer to it as Manhattan pacing. But from there, you don't just sit down. From there, after the um, you know mother-son dance, you open up the dance floor and get everybody out there for 20 or 30 minutes and kind of do a 20, 30-minute party set. And while this takes place, the venue is serving salads and getting them on the tables and everything like that. And I've had so many DJs from Pennsylvania and and other areas that don't do this ask, what if people don't dance? I can say now, having done over 50 weddings in, in the, this area, that area, and using that style of pacing, it just doesn't happen. I, I, I think maybe they're classically conditioned that this is the way weddings are and you get up and dance. I'm not saying every single person gets up and dances, but a huge, huge, huge majority of them do enough so that, you know, you're going to have that packed dance floor. So everybody gets up and dances, you know, 20, 30 minutes, you crush it. Um, you send them back to their seats after that. They sit down. That's when blessings and toasts take place. Boom. Get that out of the way. Um, that'll usually take about 15 minutes or so, depending on the length of the speeches, the number of people talking. And then this is actually, I don't love this, but I like, so typically in that tri-state wedding area, you'll get them up again to dance. And this is where it's a little forced. I think people are kind of ready to sit at their seats, eat their meal, even though it might be conditioning, it's not, you know, as much of a rager, I guess it is, is your first dance set. So this is where I would actually play a couple slow songs, okay? Like if, if they're clearing the tables of salads and that's what they want people to get up for, I'm going to play like, you know, one or two slow songs there and, and maybe like a third song, you know, that's like a slight mid-tempo banger that maybe people can sing along with or something like that. And just from my experience, that works well for me because people will get up for a slow song versus, hey, we just danced for a half hour, we want to sit down, we just drank for 90 minutes, maybe longer, we want to sit down, we want to eat, and yeah, that's the mentality. So anyway, dinner's served after that. So that's the next piece of your timeline, and I think that's perfect. Um, or if it's a buffet, people get up and go to the buffet um, when their tables are released, and hopefully I'm not the one releasing the tables. I always do it in, uh, I don't always do it, but when couples ask me like to play that role and be a maitre d' and go table to table and release them or invite them to the buffet, I will do that every single time. I just don't love it personally. Um, I think catering should staff for that. Just my two cents. So yeah, after dinner, that's when the cake cutting takes place. And more often than not, in um, 
the past few years, the cake cutting just takes place. Like it's not announced. I might play a special song for it, but it's just, you know, the maitre d' or wedding planner or, you know, venue manager takes a couple up to the cake with the photographer and or videographer and they just make that moment happen. That way, like, you don't really need, like, I, I never get a cake smash anymore. Never, never, never get a cake smash. In fact, like, I, I think the rise in, like, makeup, day of makeup costs um, and Instagram and not getting, like, a... You know, makeup the cost. I have no idea what makeup costs, but let's just say, you know, $1,000 for hair and makeup for the wedding party. I don't think the bride wants to have to redo that right before it's time to party and dance for the rest of the night. Which brings me to the segue. Hey, no cake smash, no introduction of the cake. Boom. Open dance floor for the rest of the night. And this is, again, like, you talk about these marathon dance floors. Like, as a DJ, like, even at a club where people are, like, maybe on drugs, <laughs> they don't go out and dance for four hours. You know, you've got your opening set. You probably have like three hours of people dancing. Um, but yeah, I, I think two hours, two and a half hours is the sweet spot of people dancing for an open dance set at a wedding. I have no problem. Like, I mean, there's, this is why I said in the beginning of the podcast that I think everybody, like there's so many industry rock stars from like the New Jersey and New York area is that like if if I have let's say every dance floor I've ever had is um you know two and a half hours I will have that dance floor full every time it's just so easy and like you're gonna just gonna just do nothing but bangers for two and a half hours if you've got that four hour dance floor like I'll start a little slower build up and then like the last half hour people are usually so drunk and so tipsy that I'm singing I'm playing sing-alongs and stuff like that not every time but that's kind of the case so again, that's that's where I think is the perfect wedding timeline. Here's your order. Number one, ceremony. Number two, cocktail hour, 90 minutes. Number three, entrance of the wedding party. Entrance of the bride and groom. First dance, father-daughter dance, mother-son dance, 30-minute open dance set. After that, blessing if you're doing one toasts if you're doing them and I hope you're doing them actually here's why I'm going to give a quick story on toasts and god I'm going 30 minutes on a solo cast here so you know I've got a lot to talk about so anyway toasts are important to me because I'm on the microphone as your event host and MC. I'm still a stranger though so if I'm the only one talking and there's nobody else like you know whether it's the best man maid of honor matron of honor father of the bride whoever somebody that's part of that family I think that's like seems a little distant. So I think having somebody on the microphone, um, you know, saying, everybody, let's make some noise for this couple. I love them. They're my friends. They're my daughter. It's my new son. Whatever the case may be, that person speaking that's part of your family or part of the inner circle that connects all of you and your guests, I think that's super important. Um, and it's like, hey, we're going to celebrate these guys tonight. We're going to party. Let's have the night of a life, our lifetime. I think like, you know, it comes, I think it seems a lot more personable when it comes from somebody that's connected to all the guests and the couple versus me saying, which is authentic. I want people to have a great time. I want to congratulate the bride and groom, but it just doesn't resonate the same way. So anyway, got the toast out of the way there. Dinner is served. After dinner, do the cake cutting, open up the dance floor, dance for two and a half hours, have the time of your lives. And that's to me is the perfect wedding timeline. Also, one thing about that early dance set too, I know a lot of DJs complain about photographers that leave early. Guess what? 
doing all your formalities like this and getting that early dance set me in means even if the photographers are leaving after dinner at eight o'clock or whatever the case may be, they've got all that important stuff on film, on digital camera, whatever. And they've got people in the, on the dance floor with their hands in the air. So yeah, boom, you've accomplished all of that. And you know, that way the couple doesn't have to worry about anything other than celebrate surrounding themselves with their best friends and family. This is Alex Nepa, Sips and Ish. I mean, of course, you know the fuck I am. You listened to this podcast for the last half hour. But I appreciate you tuning in. Lots more to come. Have a great week.